Auburn's Weagle 91.1 FM presents The Scoreboard with your co-hosts Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. Follow them on Twitter at Jacob Hellman AU and at Bay underscore Marks. Now let's take a look at The Scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome back to the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM, or if you're streaming live on WeagleFM.com for what is sure to be another exciting episode. Co-host Bay Marks, as always, sitting next to co-host Jacob Hillman. Jacob, how are you doing on this uh, warm Thursday for February? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's a beautiful day outside. It actually might not be pitch black when we end the show today. We're getting close to daylight saving time again, but no, it's a beautiful day outside on the plains, and I love the warm weather feels like baseball weather which yeah. we're going to talk about later on yeah we are baseball having a good start to their season as well as softball uh, both teams only suffering one loss up until this point um so we will definitely be definitely be getting into that later in today's show uh got a lot of stuff planned for the scoreboard today auburn basketball uh bounces back after a tough road loss at florida with a dominant home victory talk about the sec standings and the title race coming to a close here in the last week and a half of the regular season and we'll also get into some NBA later um, now that we are at the halfway point of the season. Um, so looking back at last night, the Auburn Tigers ranked number three now in the nation, dropping one more spot after their third loss of the season, uh, taking care of business against the Ole Miss Rebel Land Shark Black Bears, whatever you want to call them at home, winning 77-264. And it was something that Auburn needed to bounce back after the Florida game. I think a lot of fans were overreacting to the loss of Florida, thinking, oh no, this is the end of the world. The Tigers are about to collapse. No. The, Auburn's fine. It's not, it was, you go into a you go into a away environment, you, you lose. That happens to basketball teams, and Auburn fans know that, but... Auburn still has the best road record in the league. Yeah, I just, I look at it from the fact it's, Auburn just hasn't lost in a while, and it's time for them to lose, and now... They're going to get back on track, and I think this next. We're, we're, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I think Saturday is a more critical game than what last Saturday was. Looking back at last night, some highlights from the Auburn end. Team's leading scorers, Zepp, Jasper, and Jabari Smith, both with 15 apiece. A career high at Auburn, or I'll say season high then. Um, for Zepp Jasper, he had 15 points last night, having really a team player game. Andy Burson tweeted that out earlier today, that he was a team player. Um, and I think last night's game from him really defines that. Jabari Smith, again, coming off two dominant games with 15 points of his own and nine rebounds, nearly a double-double, and having five assists as well. Um, and then also Walker Kessler, who already has two triple-doubles this season, was at a near third oh, last night. 12 points, 10 rebounds, came two blocks shy of a triple-double. He had eight blocks. So um, several key guys contributing for Auburn in that home win last night. Yeah, and, I, and, and what I want to talk about is Zepp. Because Zeb Jasper, he he's only averaged four point five points per game leading into last night, and obviously it's not a lot. He's not your best offensive weapon or anything like that. He's out there because he plays really good defense and he doesn't turn the ball over. His assist to turnover ratio one of the best in the country. Uh, he hadn't turned the ball over. I, we talked about it last week. He might that might have changed since then, but he hadn't turned the ball over in SEC play since January eleventh against Alabama on the road. He hadn't turned the ball over since the home game against Oklahoma. And obviously last night, just going off uh, offensively, scoring uh, 15 points, knocking down four threes, yeah. something we haven't seen from him this year. And really it goes back to something Coach Pearl talked about uh, on the postgame show. Uh, he texted Zepp. Or I, uh, Zepp talked about it. Uh, Coach Pearl texted him two days, uh, I guess on Monday, and said, B-12 
be more aggressive, and look for a shot. And it seems like Zepp did exactly that. And I think that really helps take pressure off guys like Wendell, who thinks that when they come off the bench, they are the best offensive spark that this team needs, other than the starters. We know when, obviously, Ijabari, who can score 30 points on a given night, Walker, who can go off for 20 uh, if he's really on fire. And then even a guy like Katie Johnson, who he's cold, he's been cold lately, but you never know when he can catch fire. So I think it really helps just take a lot of pressure off these guys. And I think you can even see the other guys on the bench thrive through that. Jalen Williams had a good game last night. Alan Flanagan. I, I think what I look at it for Alan Flanagan, yeah, oh, yeah Cambridge yeah. should have a great game. Yeah. But Flanagan, that might open things up for him. Like when you start the game off, if Jasper's out there playing really well offensively, it's going to open up so much more because. It kind of feels like on the offensive end when you open the game up, it's three on five in a way from the standpoint that Zeph's out there to pass the ball. He's not trying to score, and then Flanagan's been struggling. Now, if Jasper's out there trying to score uh, the way he was last night, you never know what can happen with Al. So I I think that Jasper opening up the offensive game really makes things a a big difference. It's kind of like it's different because Javon McCormick came off the bench, but that final four year – McCormick played such a crucial role, same number two, and I, I don't know. It just feels similar where I think Zepp will be the most important player to this team in March. I think going back to the Alan Flanagan point, we mentioned it on the show last week how he's been in a slump. He hasn't been really doing what people expected him to do, especially being a preseason uh, first-team All-SEC, um, this, that, and the other, and we said he'll he'll get it figured out. Well, Saturday at Florida, you could see it. He wasn't really in his game either. And and Bruce Pearl said it in his presser, I believe it was this morning, said, you know, Allen's out there. He's fighting. He's he's trying. I know we feel for him. I know the fans feel for him. He's going to get going. Um, that's, again, just something that we talked about on the show that we'll continue to talk about is just the, he, the struggles that he's had. And I don't know if it's if it's his Achilles. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, he's, he seems to be moving fine out there. I just – I don't know what kind of slump it is that we are seeing him go through, especially with the talent level and the capabilities we know that he has. Yeah, it's hard to say because it could be mental and just the fact that he missed time and he's thinking about back to last season when he was the guy on offense. See, and it's tough too because, I mean, it's like he dropped 16 on Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has great road games. He's played well in some games since his return in December, but, I mean, it's just like – it's just not consistent, and especially with these last several games, it's been a lot of lows. Um, I know I mentioned it to you there in the bullpen, and I'll say it on air. I mean, it's almost like worth questioning. I know it's not that big of a difference, but it's like maybe bench him. Yeah. See, see if that lights a fire under him. See if that changes anything. Or I mean, he didn't start for the first several games of the year. Yeah, because, I mean, Cambridge did a good job in the starting role too. So I think they like Cambridge coming off the bench as a spark plug because – He's done really well with that this year and kind of just doing his job, grabbing offensive boards, because I think that's why they like him is because he rebounds so well. Because when he's out there coming off the bench, he's less tired than anyone on the floor. Yeah. So I think it's really one of those deals. And it's the same thing. It's it's almost like Wendell coming in for Zepp just a few minutes into the game every time, and then he closes the game. Maybe you start Allen, and he only plays three or four minutes, and you bring in Devin. And then you just switch it out where it's basically equal minutes and the starter doesn't really matter who it is. Well, another guy that has been in a slight slump lately as well that we've talked about, Katie Johnson, Auburn starting two guard, had two points last night with two assists, four rebounds, and three steals. Um, Not horrible numbers by any means, but 
Uh, you could see his visible frustration as well um, on the bench last night, and you saw him post game uh, shooting threes with a few of the trainers and and student managers trying to trying to get out of that funk. And I know that's something frustrating for him, not just because of how good of a ball player he is, but because of his personality and his attack mode. And, um, our little psychopath, as we like yeah to call yeah, him. our little psychopath. And last night when he was out there, shoot, he made ten straight from uh, from a certain spot on the floor, and it's like. It's it, it's got to be mental, and I think what it is is the way he plays the game. And whenever he drives and attacks the rim for a layup, it just becomes something that. And earlier in the year, he was getting every single foul call, but then as the season's gone on, officials have realized uh, that he's not really getting fouled, so he's not getting those calls anymore. So it's extremely important for Katie Johnson to figure things out because I really just don't know. What's gonna take for him to find his rhythm again? Because it's just he's not getting the fouls, and it doesn't really open him up for three. There was one time last night where he was open and he didn't take the shot. He passed it, and I think it almost led to a shot clock violation. But yeah. it ended up leading to a Wendell air ball. Yeah, he should have shot that um, shot for sure. I leaned over and said that to you. But I mean, something with me was just—I mean, it's not whether he can or he can't. It's not his ability, just like Allen. It's just whether he is or not. We've seen him in games this year, literally carrying Auburn, Missouri. He's the reason Auburn wins that game on the road. Um, some of the games earlier this year, like in the Bahamas, some of the games in Auburn Arena we've seen this year, um, Katie Johnson has been the guy that stepped up that game. Um, so I don't question his fight. I don't question if he will step back up or if he will get back to that level. Um, but it's just a matter of when. But we're not going to focus on all the negatives. What about a record-breaking performance? Exactly. Walker Kessler last night. Um, with his near triple-double, like I mentioned a minute ago, he sets the Auburn single-season record for most blocks in a season, uh, with 127 was the record-breaker. I don't know, what was it now? What is it now? He had a few blocks One, after eight, that. Uh, 130. Yeah, so he has 130 blocks. He is now in sole possession um, of most blocks in a single season by an Auburn Tiger. Did you see what uh, Kyle Davis, the former record holder, uh, tweeted last night? I saw it, but I can't recall. Yeah, that. he said, he said, I'm cool with my single-season record being broken. It's been around since 03. It was broken by someone who has a phenomenal shot-blocking ability. Hashtag War Eagle. So, All it, the praise from the former holder. It was really funny. Uh, uh, Kyle has been tweeting a lot about uh, Walker this year. So back on February 13th, that what game was that? That was right that was, after. That was the day after, um, um, was it Oklahoma? Yes. No, it was, it was after Texas A&M. Or Texas A&M, sorry. Yeah, it was after yes. Texas A&M. I knew it was a Saturday game. Um, so there was this game when Kyle was suspended, and you know he couldn't be with the team, so he decided to sit in the student section. And he has this picture of him with two students in the student section. It says, me when Walker Kessler almost got my single-game blocks record, LOL. Can you it, can you turn that around? Yes. Show yes, the studio? Please, please, please look at just Kyle just... Inside Beardy's Coliseum, <laughs> hanging out with Sick. some students during a men's basketball Sick. game. But it, it's just, it's cool to see that. Um, He's all for it. Absolutely. Yeah. So And just another dominant performance by probably the best defensive player in college basketball. Um, maybe one of the best defensive players we've seen in college basketball in a few years. Um, I mean, it, it... I know there's other great centers this year, like Os- Oscar Shibway, Colin Castleton, even um, Nasir that we saw last night right. for Ole Miss. I mean, especially in the SEC, but... Walker Kessler, throughout the entire nation, has been one of the better centers when he stays out of foul trouble. He had four last night, um, so and I, it's tough for him being so tall. Um, but point being, that's going to be a well, key. Also, one of those fouls was completely terrible. Yeah, so. yeah. Not saying all, they are all true fouls. Yeah. Uh, but point being, he will be a key uh, pivotal piece for Auburn down these last three SEC 
uh, games that they have as well as into March and hopefully April. I really think that Walker is going to just go crazy the rest of the way with the blocks. I thought that that Vanderbilt game, he was going to get a lot. He didn't really do much. Like, coming into the Ole Miss game, he needed five blocks to break the record. He did that in the first half. He yeah. broke the record in the first half. Yeah. And then he I mean, had he three, had three in the first half. two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was literally within the first two minutes, we are like, oh, oh triple, triple double watch. watch. <laughs> yeah, and it was just crazy. And I really think that he is one of those guys that his game travels. I think I think we talked about I I was or I might have talked about this with someone just off the air and how the defense travels, but it's the offensive game. You just got to find a little bit of consistency and that you can carry some of that everywhere else because we know this defense will go wherever Auburn goes because of Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith and even guys like Katie Johnson, Seth Jasper, Alan Flanagan. Those guys play great defense and it shows. The only other point that I'll really make about last night is, and you mentioned it earlier, um, several guys off the bench like Jalen Williams and Devin having great games. Um, Wendell, who obviously comes off the bench and is known for having some of those great games, he had 14 points last night with four assists and two steals. Also added five rebounds to that to uh, that number. One of those assists being a half-court bounce Gosh, pass. I mean, beautiful. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend looking at the Auburn highlights. But. It, it's funny because whenever I see – Whenever I saw the what was happening, I thought, okay, this might be a chance at a Devin Cambridge alley oop. Yeah, no, it's something even cooler because we haven't we don't see that very often. Was that? And I think KD uh, hit one of those passes as well later in the game, and it was just so cool to see those guys really just say, "All right, we're gonna have fun. Have with fun this. Yeah. We're gonna have fun with this." Because what I also look at with Wendell is a big number. A number one under the turnover column. Yeah, because against that against Florida, it wasn't well, pretty. Yeah, we also Bounce looked. We also looked at the end of half possessions. What about at the end of the first half last night when Wendell just takes it to the lane, finishes and finishes. Yeah, that's. A, I was so happy to see Wendell play with confidence and come back out and do his thing. Uh, I mean, three for eight from three. Uh, from three, that's not what you want to see on like Saturday, but it's good to get it out of your. Not, I won't say out of your system, but. I mean, in three keep for, shooting it. Keep shooting it. Three for eight's just under fifty. I mean, four out of eight obviously is fifty percent. But and I think what you just mentioned a second ago, and we can talk more about it after the break, is the fact that the road woes that Auburn has had lately. It's been a more uptight team that hasn't been playing Good loose point. and fun like that. We saw that team playing like that in Tuscaloosa. We saw that team playing like that in the comeback win at Ole Miss at South Carolina earlier in the SEC play. So. And again, we can get to that on the other side of the break here in a minute, but I think that's something that Auburn's definitely going to have to recognize and something they're going to have to do to finish out the regular season. They're still having fun. They, they that's are. all that matters. Yeah, they are. And this seems having fun, they're playing well. It's like Bruce Pearl says, adversity reveals character, and we saw that last night in that home win. 77-264, Auburn defeats Ole Miss in the jungle, the last game in Auburn Arena as well. And on the other side of the break, Jacob and I will break down the rest of the SEC as the SEC regular season title race is coming to a close. This is the Scoreboard WEGL 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the Scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome back into the Scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM or streaming. At WeagleFM.com, I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks. So we just wrapped up our Auburn basketball discussion for their win over the Ole Miss Rebels last night, 77-64, to bouncing back from the loss in Gainesville. Now, the magic number is two for Auburn to claim at least a share of the SEC regular season championship. Obviously, 
you go beat Tennessee on Saturday and things are looking really good for you if you're Auburn. So we're going to get into this SEC title race as I think we can go ahead and look around. Kentucky takes down LSU last night, overcame an eight-point deficit uh, against the Tigers and made sure they stayed in it because I, if, if Kentucky loses that game last night, it's, it would be really tough for the Wildcats to try and chase down Auburn in the SEC. Yeah, and obviously all Auburn fans were pulling for the Bayou Bengals last night, a team that was uh, nearly a top-10 team <clears throat> Excuse me, earlier this year in the AP poll. Um, they just couldn't quite get it done in Rupp, which a lot of teams can't. So, I mean, I I think the biggest thing right now for Auburn, like you said, Jacob, is, is, is one game at a time like we've mentioned the entire season. I mean, you have this upcoming weekend in Knoxville, a place that – You've won two straight in, um, and then I mean after that, I mean it's kind of like what I also told you last night. The jungle when we were leaving was control what you can control. Mm-hmm. I think that's also kind of what BP is going to be um, preaching to his team. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean we can't sit we can't sit here and worry about is Kentucky winning tonight, is Arkansas or Tennessee winning tonight. The only thing we can worry about is what are we doing to win tonight. That's all you can worry about. And I think that going into Saturday, that that's the best mindset you can have and really the only mindset you can have. Because I mean, the thing is, Kentucky has a tough game against Arkansas. They do. I, I don't expect Kentucky to win that game. The top four teams play each other this week. Exactly. So it's like you you want to worry. As fans, it's fine. As fans, it's fine to worry about it because, I mean, what what impact do we have on the team? Like, other than us yelling at a game, we're not having impact on this team. So it's fine for us to focus on it, but – when you look at the team, yeah, exactly. You just got to focus on you and going to get that win. But I, I think it would be nice for if Auburn goes to Knoxville wins and Arkansas. they come out of that game and then you see Arkansas wins, I think that team's going to be pretty happy and yeah. going crazy. No, for sure. I mean, honestly, me, you mentioned being a fan. Best case scenario, Auburn wins the SEC outright against South Carolina on senior day. I mean, personally, like selfishly, being a senior. That would be awesome. Being my last game in Auburn Arena. Um, they don't even need more confetti if that happens. Just let the confetti already up there just keep falling. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're probably a good enough, a good amount enough. Now, as long as we don't pull the trigger, uh, like with four minutes early. left in the game, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Um, but no, but like Jacob said, this weekend is absolutely gargantuan in the SEC title race. Kentucky playing Arkansas, and obviously Auburn traveling to uh, Knoxville. I mean, that's the top four teams facing off, and and what's the most pivotal portion of the season. Um, and I don't believe that Tennessee and Kentucky um, play again the rest of this year. Am I right? No, they do not. No. Um, but Tennessee and Arkansas play in Knoxville next Saturday. So, I mean, that's also like if it, if it gets any closer than it is now, that could be another pivotal game. Tennessee, yep. a team that just lost at Arkansas by 10. So th- there's a lot of stuff going, going around right now. And when you look at also Kentucky, who's the two seed, I mean, their last few remaining games, I mean, they go to Arkansas, like Jacob said, but then they have a cupcake next Wednesday against Ole Miss, um, or Tuesday, excuse me, and then they go to Florida, a team that's really desperate right now, who could be a giant slayer. So, I don't know. It it's really Auburn's race to lose, and the last two road games that they've played in, they have been trying to lose. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, I what I like about uh, Auburn going to Mississippi State is that that's not going to be a hostile environment. I, it shouldn't be. It's Let's, not. Well, I mean, listen, shouldn't uh, be. The Auburn Tip Off Club has sponsored two buses and is bringing the jungle to Starkville. So. I really think that Auburn faithful is going to show out. I know that there's probably a good amount of Auburn fans that live in, say, Tuscaloosa that will probably make that quick trip over to Starkville because that's an easy drive over. Um, I, I expect that to be be a, be a hefty Auburn crowd like it has been in a lot of road games recently. Talk about that Florida game. 
it was louder when for it Auburn was loud. than it was for Florida at times. Yeah, it was louder. You could hear that coming through the TV. And th- th- something else, that, I mean, when you really sit back and think about it, the back half of Auburn's SEC schedule has the opponents have been quite lackluster besides Arkansas and Tennessee. I mean, Auburn had a lot of big games, the front nine. Back nine, it was like, okay, well, we have these few, but then it's like hosting Vandy and Ole Miss. And- it's funny. I Before the SEC start at, was it, I think it was, I think it was Carter Bird, a uh, former uh, Wiggle 91.1 FM member. He talked about, he was like talking about the schedule. What's the LSU? I think that had just an absolute insane start at SEC play. I think they were playing Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee. It was just all these teams that were capable of being great. And then Auburn, he was talking about, I mean, the schedule set up perfectly where all the good teams are spread out. You're not, you don't have like a log jam of great teams you're playing. I mean, because like you said, it's like you have Ole Miss last night between Florida and Tennessee. That's really nice. And just things like that. So I think the schedule set up nicely for Auburn and they took advantage. And now you're looking at an SEC championship. Potentially. Uh, like we said, Peacock. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you were not bringing Peacock energy last night. I won't mention it, but. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens in the jungle stays in the jungle. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for Auburn, like I said, one game at a time, you cannot worry about Kentucky and Arkansas and Tennessee. Um, after that, nobody has a chance of winning it. It's just Alabama and South Carolina. Um, but Also, let's talk about the middle of the pack. Yeah. I think that's very cr- – It's guys, huge I mean, with seeding it in, in Tampa, yes. Five through six, seven, eight, nine are within one game of each other. Eight and seven or seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then Vanderbilt and Texas A&M are kind of right there. And it's just like sitting at six and nine, I think they can make a run. And I just think that it's something that the middle of the pack is going to be different. There was a, Before this week, there's a chance that Auburn plays Alabama in the first in their first game of the SEC tournament, assuming Auburn's the one seed. Now Alabama's the five seed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just you never know what's going to happen with all these tiebreakers, especially. I mean, we could potentially get a five-way tiebreaker. I don't know how that would happen, but you could get a five or even like a six-team tiebreaker of five through nine. Yeah. So I mean, the biggest thing concerning the team on the planes would be seeding-wise. Who Who is going to be – that really emerges out of the middle of the pack is going to have to play them as a one or a two seed. Um, worst case scenario, honestly, Auburn drops as a two. I don't see them dropping as a three. Shouldn't, at least, with the way the numbers would work yeah. out. Um, but there's a few of those teams in the middle of the pack that Auburn might not want to play, being obviously Alabama, a Florida team who they lost to on the road and mm-hmm. had a tough time with at home, uh, potentially a Mississippi State team that could beat them in Starkville. I mean, that's yeah. You, I'm just saying, you never underestimate the road in the SEC. Mississippi State is the team. I think we talked about it earlier this year, where I was like, I, I think they could be something. I thought they were a sleeper. Well, team. they were playing fine earlier this year, and then they went on a bit of a slump. Not, a, it's not a slump like Texas A&M went on when no. they lost like eight <laughs> games in a row. Yeah, but it was just kind of they looked really good, and it was like, okay, this team has potential. And then they were just going back and forth on wins and losses, like like they like. I think what it was they they beat Alabama in Starkville, but then they lost to Alabama. They're on the road they're a really they good have. defensive team. Mm-hmm. I mean, their problem is road games. They're one and eight in road games, and then at the hump they're thirteen and two, which is why I say don't you know underestimate home games. Auburn has the best road uh, record in the league at seven and two, yeah, which for games, which for some ga- for some fans isn't good enough. Uh, I mean, but I digress. <sighs> yeah, that that's the best way to go about that. <laughs> I mean, it's just like. Come on. It's so frustrating Come because on. the thing is, and hey, look, it, it's not even just the Auburn fans either. It's everyone because I think a lot of a lot of national media thinks, oh, Auburn can't play away from Auburn. Yes, 
Yes, yes they can. Yes, they They're can. seven and two on the road. Very, very clearly. Wins in Coleman. I mean, comeback win against Ole Miss. Come back or close wins in. Como and in Athens. Yeah. And, of course, those aren't the best teams in the world. And, you know, you go to Arkansas, you lose that game. But it's a grind. Yeah, exactly. It's a grind. Like Bruce Pearl says, one loss to, or one point loss at Florida. Um, lost by, what, four at Arkansas? In overtime. In overtime. You only have two losses on U.S. soil out of your three. One regulation that, hey, lost that, by one. Well, I think mean, about that St. Louis game uh, back in December. Which they, we always forget about. That, that was game. a big, big game for Auburn. Tough really environment. Step up. Um this Saturday, though, is where you really find out how Auburn is on the road. And not to say this game decides the season or not, because you can still win the next two games and win the SEC. Share it. Or you could still win it. You win it. You, you, you win it. <laughs> Peacock. Yep. But I, I really just don't – I just don't see this game or the Arkansas-Florida game defining this team. No, I, I don't I, – I, we talked – or Jamari he, Smith talked about it on social media. Uh, it was in an interview with uh, – I believe it was Andy Katz. Um, mm-hmm. He said they were talking about the Arkansas game. He said Jabari, that was y'all's first regular season lo- or um, first loss in conference, first loss since November. Is like, how's that make you feel? And he was like, well, we responded like really well. Like that loss has only made us like grow closer, which is a dangerous thing. Now, obviously, they lost by one at Florida, where Jabari literally put the team on his back. Yeah, he did. But point being that this team, I mean, even when they lose, they make it hard hard to lose. I mean, one guy after another stepping up. Whether it's KD Johnson with a few late buckets at, in Como, Jabari Smith, I mean, at the end of the game um, at Florida, Wendell Green at the end of the game in Georgia. I mean, when those close games come down to the wire, it's hard to beat Auburn. And that's really valuable come March. And I think that we talk about, like, there, obviously, the talk of the Florida game was how each half was, was closed out. Yes. And I don't think that's something that's going to be carried over. Now, of course, it happened against Arkansas as well. Yeah. Still just don't think that that's a characteristic of this team. I think this is a team that is going to find a way to figure that out because it might be something that that that, that Auburn struggle with, and it's just going to take time to get that down pat because, you know, come March, you're going to need someone that just can take over. But, of course, we also look at all those finishes. Jabari never touched the ball. Walker never touched the ball. I think that that's something that's going to be a and, focus for Auburn is to make sure in those crucial times – that your two best players get the basketball. And before we move on and finish this discussion about the SEC, I want to stop real quick and talk about that last play at Florida. I understand that that ball was probably supposed to go to Walker or Wendell was supposed to do something differently. But correct me if I'm wrong. If you're Bruce Pearl in that situation, do you not try to immediately get it to Jabari or try to immediately get it to Walker, who was open on the inside, or just something else? Because, I mean, that's viv- – or. How do I put it? That's virtually the same play that happened in Arkansas. My thought process was because you were at about three-quarters court, about three-fourths court, uh, court, you give it to Wendell, let him get across half court, and then call timeout with you probably still have five seconds left. And then from there, you can you can throw it straight to Walker inside and let him do something. He's got five seconds to work. I think he can make that happen. So, yes, having, having Jabari Smith just camped out in the corner should not have happened. Yeah. Alan Flanagan was near half court when – uh, Wendell made the pass. Yeah. I think there was a lot that goes into it. A lot of people put the blame on Wendell when it should not have been all put on him. Uh, some of it was, I think, the play design. Some of it was other guys not really being in position. I thought you could have given the ball to Katie Johnson and let him do something with yeah. it. Yeah. Because I think part of it was Wendell was double teamed. And with how small he was. Just with the, de- the day that Wendell had had, I know you were there, but me at home, it did not make much sense. No, I agree. I agree. 
But this time next week, we'll have a better vision of what the SEC may uh, end up looking like. It will be post-Mississippi State and Tennessee. We're going to have all the SEC action, getting ready for the regular season finales next Thursday. But before we do that, we've got M- – or no, are we going to talk college baseball next? Let's talk college baseball and college softball on the other side of the break on the scoreboard. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. This is the scoreboard, WGL 91.1 FM, or if you're listening to Jacob Hillman and myself, Baymarks, live on WeagleFM.com, wherever you may be listening worldwide, we welcome you. If you want to call into the scoreboard, 334-844-9345 is the number to dial to reach us live in the studio in the Harold Melton Student Center on Auburn University's beautiful, beautiful campus. If you missed the first half of today's show, Jacob and I talked about Auburn basketball and the current SEC standings with three games remaining. You can go listen wherever you may find our podcast if you want to catch up on that portion. But now we will be speaking about the ball and bat sports, as Jacob likes to describe them. I mean, yeah. The Auburn baseball and softball starts for their season here on the Plains. Uh, both teams getting off to very good starts. Auburn softball and baseball, respectively, only losing one game so far. Auburn baseball went out to the Lone Star State um, against some top-tier talent from the Big 12. Um, they faced three Big 12 teams in Oklahoma, 14th-ranked Texas Tech, as well as Kansas State. Um, dropped the opener against Oklahoma 0-3 with some uh, late uh, runs scored by the Sooners. Um, but bounced back with a dominant win against a ranked Texas Tech team the next day in a pitcher's duel, 2-1, to one, and then taking care of business with an offensive explosion against Kansas State, 12-1. to one. Um, So 0-3, 2-1, in the Lone Star State. And then last night, back on the plains for the home opener on opening day in Plainsman Park, taking care of business against Troy, throttling them 13-1, to one, as you may expect. So um, let's go ahead and talk about baseball real quick before we get into softball, Jacob. What have you really noticed um, in this very, very young season that's less than a week old um, from these Auburn Tigers as they start out the season 3-1. and one. It, It's the pitching staff. You only allowed five runs over those three games. That's something that Auburn had not done since 2019, the year of the College World Series run against Tennessee to open the SEC play. So it's so good to see these pitchers back bounce back from what well, was not a great year, including some uh, that are newcomers, Tommy Sheehan, uh, John, and Jordan Armstrong. It's good to see them really just fit in and just do their thing in the opening weekend and not have not have to deal with any confidence issues. I mean, the only issues was really stamina. Tommy Sheehan is coming off of Tommy John surgery, so he's not able to go as much. He started last night after starting on Friday night just to keep working his arm back into it. He only threw 33 pitches on Friday against Oklahoma. Didn't allow much, if anything. And same deal last night. He had some control issues, but... I think that is due to the short rest. But that's how you got to work his arm back up. Uh, is just throw him out there and, and see what he can do. Other pitchers were fantastic as well. Yeah, um, for me, the two biggest things so far in these first four, um, one is the pitching. Um, I think, for me, the biggest thing that sticks out is Joseph Gonzalez um, in the win against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Uh, Gonzo, as they like to call him, and, and argue this, if you will, Jacob, in his true freshman year last year, um, really had some bright moments and then really had some some low moments. Um, he had some really good games and some not-so-good games. Um, he makes the start in the second game for the Tigers and gets the win. His stat line, five innings pitch, only gives up three hits, five strikeouts, and only three walks. Um, I mean, a really good start to start the season for the sophomore. 
um, to start off his sophomore campaign very strongly. The other guys in that game pitched well, um, like Carson Skipper, Garrett Wade, who hasn't been out there in a while, yeah. um, as well as Blake Burkhalter, who is going to be Auburn's closer, um, I would assume, this year with the way that um, he likes to pitch. Um, and then the second thing that I'd like to point out that to start Auburn's season um, has really been the offense. Um, you know, after the first two games, it was there was a question mark around the bats. Maybe it's just taking them a few days out in, out in Texas to get a little warmed up. Um, and they sure did against Kansas State. Yeah, um, to say the least. Yeah, winning winning that game 12-1 to um, against another good Big 12 team. Um, guys like Blake Rambush, I mean, he was he had three hits on the day at five at-bats. Sonny DeShare also with his bat. Guys all around the lineup. Um, if you listen to Brad Law and the Auburn Sports Network, um, hearing him describe the way that those bats were or the ball was popping off those bats was um, pretty impeccable. Um, and it carried over to last night, of course, against Troy. And what I also look at is another newcomer other than Rambush. I think Rambush will be one of the best leadoff hitters in the SEC sure. this year. He he looks sure. good. He's a good third baseman as well. But, I mean, Sonny DeShare just – I'm looking at the Auburn baseball uh, a notebook from this past weekend. And in his three games that he started, he hit 556. He's five for nine, scored three runs, had three doubles, two walks. He was hit by a pitch twice. I mean – and last night he hit a three-run ball. Yeah, it's just this guy's going to be so good. And I think that that combo of Rambush leading off and having to share in the cleanup spot is just going to work so well as they're just kind of put into the mix with a bunch of veterans like Casey Howell, Brody Moore, Garrett Farquhar, Cam Hill, uh, Bryson Ware. He had a grand slam last he did. night. The bats look like there's a good chance that they just gel together and work really, really well. Now, two things I'll say. One, that's something that, as an Auburn fan, you hope sticks around. We've seen that in previous years. The bats get off to a good start, and that's how a lot of baseball teams are. They start out hot, and then really towards the end of non-con and beginning of SEC play is when they kind of cool off. You want that consistency, and I think Gabe Gross, um, the hitting coach, is, is capable of teaching that to the guys. The second thing that I want to point out, and this is kind of baseball-related, um, the streak – of me personally, you as well with Richard Fitz, knowing or growing up with somebody that was on the Auburn baseball team, um, Sonny DeShera uh, continues that tradition. I know Sonny very minimally, um, but one thing I will share about him, because you were mentioning his bat, is I just remember us in Helena, Alabama, if you're from the 205 and you've ever been to uh, Joe Tucker Park, um, <laughs> we would play softball out there um, with a few girls that we went to high school with that played softball. They'd bring the softballs and their bats out. And obviously that's different from hitting a baseball. It's a lot harder to hit that farther. And Sonny would just hit it out of the park like it was an actual baseball. Too so, easy. So you kn- you know that was coming from from Sonny. Um, my point being, I think that's a bat that's going to hopefully not cool off this year. It's something that I think even if it – because he didn't hit a home run over the weekend. But then he did last night. You don't need all those home runs. Even though he's he's a bigger guy that doesn't run as well, he still runs well enough. Getting those doubles. He had a triple in fall ball. That was just incredible to see. And I just don't really – I really don't see where this lineup has too many faults. Like, in, in a way, it makes sense where it's like, okay, yeah, there are certain guys that could just fall off. But I also feel like that we have it set up where our catchers can interchange. Ryan Dial apparently has been hitting as well as anyone in the program. Nate LaRue's yeah. hitting it well. Yeah. And he's kind of sitting there at DH in the DH spot. Braden Brown has a lot of power. Braden Brown has a lot of power. I think he's only like 5'8", but he hits the ball really well. So I'm looking at it as a whole, and I think that it's going to be one of those things where when someone doesn't really have it for a game, 
someone's going to step up. I mean, similar to the basketball team where when guys don't have it, someone else steps up. And I think that's what you're going to see with this lineup. The one thing, like I said, I need I need to see Rambush and DeShera be the most consistent players, in my opinion. And I, I know it's early, but this is the last thing I'll say is I think opening weekend changed the perception of Auburn baseball um, within the conference for what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of teams had them towards the back of the pack, like seventh in the West back of the pack yeah. for which, preseason predictions. Which, which, in the SEC, that it's yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to say exactly. what that means. But uh, my point being, especially with the way other teams played, and again, there's a lot of good baseball played this weekend. I think Auburn might have moved up closer towards the middle of the pack. Not quite there yet, but I probably about ninth or tenth best right now. I thought league. that too. Um, so. But we will now move on to Auburn softball because something they had in common with Auburn baseball last weekend was beating multiple Big 12 teams. Um, they did so as well at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational presented by Wilson. Um, they got off to a 10-1 to start this year after sweeping the Tiger Invitational here at J&B Moore Field on the Plains, um, beating teams like Seton Hall twice, St. John's twice, and then UMass Lowell. Um, run ruling four out of those yeah. five games. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to St. Pete, Florida. Um, they beat Texas Tech, which Auburn baseball did, beat Wisconsin, and then beat the 11th-ranked Texas Longhorns Excuse me. Um, before they move on and lose to number three UCLA um, in the following game. Um, but then they bounce back uh, with a few more wins. So, um, again, my question to you is what really sticks out right now with Mickey Dean's squad? Easily. Easily the offense. So through these first, what is it, eleven games that Auburn's played? Yes. Uh, ah, let me find the number. Seventeen home runs for the Tigers last year. Throughout the whole season, twenty-two. Wow, I, I didn't even know that stat. That's a that's quite impressive. Last year, Auburn didn't score double digits until late in the season. Auburn has scored at least like seven runs in almost every game. Um, I think the Texas game was six runs, and it's just it's just it's just great to see these bats pick up and really figure things out because there's a lot of power on this team and it's a, from a lot of newcomers. So, um, and, and ladies that have returned like Michaela Packer, right? Yeah. Michaela, she's leading off for Auburn and doing a great job at yep. it. Sydney Cox, she's like hitting a lot of home runs, but she knows how to find the gaps and hit a double or a triple every now and then. Denver Bryant, she's hitting lower in the order, but doing a good job at it. Um, uh, Brie Ellis, she's a freshman. She has a lot of power. She has a lot of power. Yeah. And I also think that uh, the bottom of the lineup is where the critical part is. Because you've got Carly McConaughey, she's batting the ninth spot, but it's it, it's it's simply a back-to-back leadoff spot. I McConaughey, I guarantee you, will be a leadoff hitter in the Auburn order at some point in her career. Yeah, and I think one more thing that, that I like to notice was the continuation of where Shelby Lowe picked up, uh, picked up off where she came off last year, as well as Maddie Pinta. That honestly might be one of, if not – the best uh, pitching pairs that the SEC might have this yeah. year. Um, and they're only sophomores. They were both true freshmen last year, had great true freshman seasons. Um, but now with that a little bit more experience under their belt, with some offense flowing, this could be a really good Auburn Tiger softball team. In each of uh, their season openers, in each of their opening starts, they came up one shy of their strikeout uh, career high. Yeah. Shelby had tw- 11 against St. John. She had 12 at one point last season. Maddie had 16 in her season opener against Seton Hall, her career high is 17 from last year. So it's just it's something great to see these pitchers really, really play well. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's going to be something that continues. Because, um, I, I mean, softball is a little bit different from baseball. That's kind of something we see continue throughout the year. So 
Um, hopefully we see that two-headed monster continue that. Um, and this weekend they have a chance to do so. The Plainsman invite um, starts tomorrow, Friday, February 25th. Auburn will face uh, Louisiana Monroe tomorrow afternoon. Delta Delaware State, excuse me, Saturday afternoon. They will face off against Bradley University Saturday night. And then Sunday they will round it out with a doubleheader starting at 1130 against Syracuse and then Louisiana Monroe one more time. There might be a familiar voice on the call for those Sunday games. I don't, I don't I can't confirm nor deny, but there might be. I don't know who it'll be, but yeah. Maybe maybe listen to those games to see if you can figure out who it is. <laughs> winner winner gets a free merch from the scoreboard. Oh uh, yeah, we'll, we'll I won't confirm that because then we have to figure something out <laughs> yeah. for the winner. Our budget's like zero. <laughs> I digress. There's no, no budget for the scoreboard, actually. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the show today, in t- uh, the next segment, we're going to round out with some NBA discussion. Now that we've hit the halfway point of this season, Jacob Hillman and myself, Bay Marks, will look at what we think will happen the rest of the way in the NBA season. Do not go anywhere or touch that dial. This is the scoreboard. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can listen to us live every Thursday at 4 p.m. on WEGL 91.1 FM or at WEGLFM.com. Welcome back into The Scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM or streaming on WEGLFM.com. If you missed any part of the show today, it's been full of Auburn basketball, SEC basketball, and getting our spring sports started underway. You can go back and listen Wherever you get your podcast, uh, Bay will get that uploaded right after our show here today. Let's wrap it up with some NBA talk. Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks, as always. 14 minutes left on the show, just about. The All-Star break is over. No more trades are going to be happening. The NBA gets back underway tonight at 6 o'clock with the Cavaliers and Pistons in Little Caesars Arena. And it's going to be an interesting second half of the season. You look at the standings right now. Top of the East, the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls are tied. And then over in the West is the Suns by a mile over the Golden State Warriors. Six and a half game lead. What is your main, I guess, what what's your main focus of the second half of the season for the NBA? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I think I'm going to focus more so heavily on the Eastern Conference for multiple reasons. One, the Bulls, which we've talked about this year, have been the best team in the East in our opinion, or my opinion, and just how any of these teams, with it being so close, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks are in fifth, and they're only two and a half games back from being in first. So that point being, I think it's going to be interesting to watch how those teams switch with how close all those teams are, the Cavs are in fourth. And the second big thing, possibly the biggest trade being the Ben Simmons-James Harden trade. Um, Not only do I want to see how Ben Simmons fares on the Nets after the dramatic episode that he's had, um, but I want to see what James Harden can do and possibly pushing the 76ers team um, into clinching a one seed in the East. Yeah, because I think I think what a lot of people have talked about is what's this Embiid-Harden dynamic going to be like? It's yeah. not going to be a usual uh, gelling process, I don't think. I mean, I, I think this is going to take – not that it's going to take time to be fine. I think it's going to be fine to start off, but I think that the ceiling is so high for him that it's going to take a while for them to reach that point. Now, well, that being said, I can see it happening in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think something to keep in mind is, I mean, when it comes to gelling, especially with a point guard and a center like that, James Harden is second in the league in assists at 10, 10.2 a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And he did mention one of the reasons that he did um, want to go to Philadelphia originally when he was leaving Houston was, well, they have the best big man in the league. And what better combination in the NBA besides 
one of the best shooting guards, one of the most dominant centers. I mean, we've seen it with Kobe and Shaq. We saw it with Jordan and Pippen. I know he wasn't a center, but he was yeah. a great rebounder. Rodman was there, there too. Yeah, so uh, – or yeah, that's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. Okay, um, there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, point being, there's been a lot of his- historical guys in the NBA – our teams in the NBA with guys that were great shooters and then dominant centers, and I think that's something he wants to replicate. And I think that they can to a certain point. Embiid's the MVP right now, period. Oh, yeah. Period. No, there's no doubt about it. That could change with, with throughout the season. And yeah. Who knows? Who knows? There could be uh, there could be issues with having a new guy in that's like Harden, a very, very ball-dominant guy that – also passes the ball, like you said. He's he got ten assists per game. That's that's a really good number. And I really just I just don't know what to think because I know they're going to be good. I know they're going to be fine, but I don't know how good they're going to be because I think there's like I said I think their ceiling's so high. I just don't know if I'm correct that they'll make it to that ceiling. Yeah, and we also kind of ask these same questions when um, I know it's different, but a when Kevin Durant went to Golden State, but then b when Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden all joined forces in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, we all kind of asked the same question of, well, how are they going to split points? How are they going to split all this? Granted, they only played, like, what, 13 or 16 yeah, games together? Yeah, in the teens. Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy to think it about. It is crazy to think about. But um, that's kind of the biggest question mark for me on my plate with Philadelphia's situation is, is who's really going to be the star? That's a good point. I mean. And I don't think that. Either of those guys really care about it, but it's just the nature of their game that they're going to play like it. They're going to play like the star. Now, the, I think the ideal thing is, you know, one night it's Harden, the next night it's Embiid, and maybe Embiid goes on a week's run where he's the star, but then it's kind of like, are they going to have those games where there's a little back and forth where maybe, maybe Embiid's cooking, but also Harden is almost there and then he's taking too many shots I don't know I'll even take it to a to a mental level like that's oh, yeah. that's two guys mm-hmm. that really like I mean I know MB's not a selfish guy but like he likes he likes his way he trusts the process but then you have James Harden that's really like a me 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 kind of guy yeah. um I'm just curious to know if this is the last team James Harden ever plays for I doubt it Ooh, that's a that's a fun question <laughs> well, I mean, that's a fun question how old is he uh, I think he's like 32 33 yeah, he's up there um but I mean, I think it depends on how this season goes. It could. I think it not not that this is. I think he make or break. Not that he's going to get traded after this season. No, not by any means. But he really also said that he really time. likes Doc Rivers. He likes Doc Rivers. He said they have the best uh, big man in the league, and they also have, in my opinion, the best coach in the league. So do with that what you will. The East is looking fun. Like like I said, I asked you what the biggest focus was, and it's that. And we had a great discussion about it. My thing is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Can they replicate what they did in the first half of the season in the second half? They are an America team this year. Yes, they are. I mean, that's a team, like, obviously has struggled, had their highs with, with LeBron, had their lows of lows when they drafted guys like Kyrie. <laughs> or uh, Anthony Bennett. Or it, goodness gracious. Yeah. But <laughs> now they have guys like Isaac Okoro, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Jarrett Allen. They have all – Evan Mobley. Evan, yeah, Evan Mobley. They have all these young guys that were balling out on All-Star Weekend in their own home arena, correct? Mm-hmm. So, I like Cleveland. Me too. I mean, I'm not going to bet against them. Not that I, right now. Yeah, I, and and what I look at is the teams around them. Yeah. I feel, it's so compact. I, I know the Bucks are going to pass them. There's no way they're going to get ahead of the Sixers or the Bucks. But I think the question is, 
you, you're talking about the Bulls being the best team in the NBA. Do they continue that? I could see the Bulls fading a little bit. They I'm could. Not, not that they're going to drop out of the playoffs or anything, but I could see them dropping to like the four spot. Yeah. They, it's such a tight margin in the East. Uh, even the Heat. I think they're kind of the same way. No one's really talking about the Heat. No, no. one's talking about the Heat. For, and I don't know why either. I mean, it's probably just they're playing good basketball. As simple as that. Nothing flashy to it. Just they're winning games. Yeah. Going down further in the East. The Nets are still they're in a playing game. Right they now. are. Uh, the Hawks are tenth in the East. Uh, they're the last play-in spot, only nine and a half games back of the East lead. Not that they're going to contend for that, but it shows you just how tightly contested this Eastern Conference is compared to the Western Conference, where uh, uh, the Trailblazers, who are in the tenth spot, are twenty-three and a half games back. I, I love how the Lakers are—they're the nine seed right now, but yet we're talking about who if somebody gets Bronny, like, or somebody going to draft Bronny just for LeBron, like. Are we seriously talking about that right now? Like craziness. It's a craziness. dumpster fire in the West in some spots. Well, I think I think the Lakers will be fine once AD gets healthy. If that happens, it it won't ever. He's made of glass, so he is very fragile. But that's gonna do it for us here on the scoreboard on WEGL ninety one point one FM. Join us next Thursday at four o'clock as we talk about the SEC title race in Auburn basketball. Thank you for tuning in to the scoreboard. This has been The Scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at weglfm.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at wegl underscore au.